0: tuned in to the on cue podcast college football and beyond you got questions they got answers here are your hosts Austin Appleby and Ben Thomas welcome into another edition of the on cue podcast college football and beyond I'm Ben Thomas joined as always by former Dallas Cowboy Florida Gator and Purdue Boilermaker Austin Appleby he is down in Florida right now so he's coming to us over the phone waves Austin how's it going today
1: a little bit warmer than uh, than you, Ben. Uh, I know you're fighting the cold. Uh, it's probably hard to uh, avoid the cold right now, but I can tell you, as I look out my window, it's about a comfortable sixty degrees, and uh, I'm living life right now.
0: I hate you. <laughs> it was five degrees here yesterday. If you couldn't tell in my voice, I'm currently fighting the cold, the sore throat, and all that good stuff. So I'd much no rather doubt. be where you are.
1: Hey, I don't I mean don't get me wrong, I was in Indianapolis through the new year, so I I, I was playing in the elements as well, but it's it's nice to be back down here.
0: Yeah, I bet. I'm extremely jealous. But the one thing that is hot, the college football playoff, it happened just the other day. Oh yeah. And we're gonna start today by recapping those games. And we're gonna start with the Rose Bowl. What a phenomenal game it was. Fifty four to forty eight Georgia. They get the win. It's an all SEC championship. Let's take a look at the numbers real quick. Jake Fromm 20 of 29, 210 yards, two touchdowns. Sonny Michael, 11 carries, 181 yards, three touchdowns. Nick Chubb, 14 for 145, two touchdowns. Austin, Oklahoma had no answer for this ground attack from Georgia.
1: Nope, and that's been the name of the game for the Bulldogs all season. Run the ball, control the clock, keep the ball out of the other team's offensive hand hand as best as they could. Try to keep Baker Mayfield off the field and – you know, but I think the, the the difference in the game, Ben, was the adjustments yes. that were made at halftime. There was no stopping base Baker Mayfield and the Sooner offense in that first half. We thought it was going to be a blowout. You know, there were a couple you know funny things that happened towards the end of the half. Georgia was able to steal back a little bit of the uh, the momentum, especially with the field goal, and they came out of the half and. I saw they ramped up that pass rush, and they were able to make Baker uncomfortable. They were able to force him into throwing it, you know, turning the ball over and throwing an interception. They stole the momentum They made just enough plays to get themselves back in control of the game to force an overtime. You know, and then just like you said, that that, that running game just proved to be way too much.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And like you said, we thought this game was over. Oklahoma came out. Guns are blazing but you mentioned those adjustments from Georgia. Now, I'm up here in Browns country, 0-16, the parade's this Saturday, by the way. Do you think Georgia showed anything in Baker Mayfield that maybe teams in the NFL can look at and be like, hey, if this guy's a starting quarterback in our league, this is how we stop him? Uh,
1: It's so hard to tell because of the system that you're in. We've we talked about these spread systems and how it's hard to translate it to the NFL. And you know, there's so many guys that put up you know a bazillion yards and you know throw for a million touchdowns. And then there's other guys that are in pro style systems so the numbers aren't as you know as gaudy, but ha- have are much further ahead as far as knowing what an NFL offense is and how to run in it. You know, I was from what I from what I've been able to see and know and be around it that the scouts look at arm talent. You know, and then the onus is on the coaches to be able to teach, you know, these high prospects that have all this talent, they'll teach them the offense. Right. They'll teach them high level football, you know, and they're, you know, with the higher pick that you are, the more money they have invested in you, the more time that you have in order to learn. You know, if you're somebody that might be a little bit lower as a prospect, you know, it, I think it definitely helps you to have that experience. You know, I think with with myself being a pro style guy, I think that, uh, that definitely has served me well as far as being able to roll into any team and be able to know what's going on and, and how to call a play and you know read a defense and all those things and those checks that you have to make at the line of scrimmage but to answer your question you know that was the first real defense that we saw arguably you know they played the Big 12 teams week after week and you know i think we all can agree that there isn't a surplus of defensive talent no, there the SEC boasts defensive talent and I mean, Baker still had 500 yards and, and was incredibly uh, efficient. You know, but this was probably the first time that he failed, felt the pass rush, you know, the, the team that first finally made him uncomfortable. And I still thought he stood in there well. One thing that impressed me was his toughness. He stood in there with, with heat on him and looked down the gun barrel time after time and made some tough throws. And, uh, you know, that, that is something that's hard to teach. You either have that toughness, you're willing to stand in there, and deliver the ball you're not and you know baker mayfield from what i saw in that game he, he's willing to stand in there so that's uh that's definitely a, a positive for him going forward and excited to see how it turns out for him
0: yeah baker is, a, is just a show you know people want to talk about the antics oh, yeah. he's very competitive like you said awesome guy to watch they put up 48 points so it's hard yeah, for me yeah. to sit here and say hey they they choked you know it's just a. it's possible i know we don't like this in our day and age it's possible for two teams to play very well and have a good football game. It doesn't have to be one side choked. It doesn't have to be the other side was so much better. No,
1: but I want to look. No, at it was a it was a heck of a game. It's right. every. It seems like every Rose Bowl we watch is, is an unbelievable game. And what a venue! You know, so, somebody somebody has to win. <laughs> right. What a venue! Unbelievable, but I mean, at the end of the day, somebody has to win. Georgia made just one more play. Right. And uh, you know, all things taken into account. It was, uh, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of positives to pull from from both teams and, and for Baker and Georgia, and it was just a heck of a game to watch as a fan.
0: It was. One more on Oklahoma before we get into Georgia a little more in-depth. People making a big deal, Lincoln Riley, his first season at the helm, the biggest game he's coached in, saying he might have tensed up a little bit, shortened the playbook, gotten a little scared. I personally don't think that, but I want to hear what you have to say. Do you think he kind of changed his game plan for worse instead of better coming out of the half?
1: I don't know, Ben. It's I, I don't know. I think
0: it's almost like an wanna, unfair thing to think because he scored forty-eight here's, points. Here's what I
1: think: it, it's really easy to look at one player, two players, and you know, sit on your couch or sit the next day and say, "Oh, he should have did this, right, that, or the other." Right. And I've been a part of them. You know, it's easy to sit and watch film and say, "Man, I wish I would have thrown it to that guy." Well, if I would have saw that guy during the game. Or if I knew how it would have turned out, <laughs> then I would have made a different decision. You know, the same thing that happens in all levels of football. Same with coaches. They look back and say, man, I wish I would have called that player. I wish I would have called a timeout here. You know, I wish I would have uh, put in this guy or called right. that blitz. I mean, you're, your dad's a coach. I'm sure he feels that. Nobody's perfect.
0: I, I heard but, a quote once, and it kind of relates to this. It was about betting. It says, if I could tell myself one thing about betting before I got into it, it'd be the final score. It's almost like absolutely. the same concept here. Right. So –
1: no, I don't, I don't have a problem with anything he did. He, he, in his first year, led a team to an, the college football playoff and one of the most prolific offenses in, in the nation. I, have, I don't have a single problem with it, and I don't question what anybody does, and, and I don't think he needs to question himself, and I don't think he, he needs to apologize for anything.
0: No, and he's, he's playing, a heck a he's playing he Georgia. A heck of a
1: football team, and, you know, it, it was a heck of a ball game where they came up short. Hats off to Georgia. But I'm, no, I mean, I'm sure. You, retrospect's always 2020, 20, yeah. but in the moment, you got to make decisions. You got to live with them, and and I don't think he has anything to apologize for.
0: The old Monday morning quarterbacks were out on him. There's no doubt about. it.
1: Oh, they're that. my favorite. Oh, those are my favorite guys in the world.
0: I'm sure they flood your Twitter mentions last year. I'm sure they were all over you. <laughs> they're they're, the- yeah,
1: everybody's got an opinion. But when you're, you know, when you when you have when the ball's in your hand and when you have the play sheet in your hand. That then then those are the people that truly, their opinion counts.
0: Right now, I want to take a look at Georgia. Obviously, they're moving on to take on Alabama. A guy that I don't want to say you and I were critical on, but I want to go back to when they played Auburn. We said if the game got into kind of a shootout mentality where they had to put up some points and throw the ball down the field, mm-hmm. Jake Fromm maybe wasn't adapt to that yet. 54-48. Yeah. This is an absolute shootout. And obviously the ground game was rolling, but twenty of twenty nine, two hundred ten yards and two touchdowns for Jake Fromm. I don't know if he won the game for them, but he sure as hell didn't lose it.
1: No, I was uh that was that was a surprise to me. I thought when it turned into a high scorer, especially in that first half, I was like, uh oh. I don't think Georgia's gonna be able to keep up. But it still all goes back to that run game. And they were able to keep Jake from in my opinion on schedule. They never it never turned into the auburn, oh crap, we're in catch up mode. Screw the game plan. We gotta drop back and throw it every down. They still stuck with their offense. They kept it close enough within a possession or two where they can still run the ball. They could still run the RPOs. They can throw their screens. You know, they could run it more. They can use their play auctions. They can run it more. And then they made you know, timely third down conversions in the past game when they had to throw it, where Jake Fromm came through and made the plays, but they were always they they, they kept the balance, they kept on schedule, they didn't panic. They stayed in the game plan and, you know, hats off to the, the coaching staff for not pushing the panic button in that in that first half and early in the second. And then hats off to Jake Fromm in the offense for not panicking either and trying to win it on one play but just sticking with the game plan to get themselves back in the game and ultimately get a victory.
0: Now, you mentioned no, mm-hmm. no panic. As a former quarterback at this level, mm-hmm. you've been in some comebacks, you've been in some games where it wasn't on your side, you've been on some games that you were ahead. When I yeah. look at D1 cor- or coaches, coordinators, coaches in general, the one thing I notice is they don't panic under any situation. As a player, does that give you a sense of calmness, a sense of, hey, it's not going well right now but we it's a long game. 4 15 minute quarters. We got to wait this thing out.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes back to, you know, the personality of your of your team. You know, what message your your coaches is, is presenting? <clears throat> what what they're presenting to the team? <clears throat> the leadership in the locker room, you know, your upperclassmen and that their voice the maturity of your team, you know, obviously your quarterback being able to be that, that soothing voice that doesn't panic and you know, he's the trigger man he's got his hand on the ball every play and is making those decisions. So if he's impulsive and loses his mind, the rest of the team's going to. But I mean, it I think, you know, diamonds are are, are forged through through heat and pressure. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So the only way it. to the only way to be calm in those situations and to, is to have experience in those situations. You know, the coaching staff tries to put you in those pressure chamber situations. I like that. Pressure chamber situations. I, I like that. It's cool. I you got to coin up. that
2: one.
1: Yeah, yeah. They put you in the pressure chamber. I'm gonna keep
2: as much as they can in
1: practice, so that when you get to the game, it's easy. And I think, I know at Florida, they did an unbelievable job with that. You know, we're, we're, we're going to talk to Eddie Pinheiro here, and he was put... In at the end of practice, work dog tired, you know, and, and the coach would say, "Look, Eddie, you're up." He's been over there taking a nap with the other <laughs> kickers the entire practice, doing nothing, you know, eating popsicles and watching Lion King in air conditioning while we're out in the heat. And then he'll pull on and say, "All right, Eddie, you got a you got a 48 yarder left half. If you make this, the team's done with practice. If not, they're all running." And you better believe the pressure's on because if he doesn't make the damn kick, we're going to kill him.
0: And Eddie probably took that right down the middle, no problem.
1: And, and, and that's where it came from. Bam, he hits it right through. And the only way to get that kind of pressure is to create that kind of pressure. And obviously, that's a microcosm of you know, college po- football playoff game. But if you've never felt you know that, that little butterfly in your gut, like, hey, it's got to happen, you know, everything gets heightened, you won't be ready when it happens for real.
0: Yeah, Georgia was definitely ready for that. 54-48 in double overtime was the final. Mm -hmm. They advance to the college football championship where they take on the other SEC team, the team that made guys like me look right this week, the Alabama Crimson Tide. (laughs) 24-6 was the final. This game not as exciting as the other one, but Alabama games aren't exciting when they win. They came out. Kelly Bryant was stealing headlines all year, Austin. 18-36 for 124 yards and two interceptions. That defense proved that they're the real deal.
1: Yeah, it's, it goes back to Alabama and their defense. That's, that's who they are. It's Saban. It's his, it's his system. It doesn't matter what coordinator's in. It's his defense. They're an NFL defense. They've got the best players in the country. They had an extra week of rest. They had a lot to play for. They snuck in the dance. And you knew they were going to be ready to play. They were anybody who was who was smart to pick, um, and they made uh, Kelly Bryant uncomfortable. That's when I turned on the game. It was a little bit late. They were about six minutes in already because we were watching the Rose Bowl. But the first thing that I noticed was, man, he's he he he, the, he, he is like he's hurried. He doesn't look calm. He doesn't look comfortable. That's what Alabama does so well. Hell, I played against them, and they do an unbelievable job of mixing up their looks, pattern-matching things. You know, I've explained the pattern-matching thing to you, but I mean, they're, they're, they're the elite defense have the ability to do this. They'll draw up every route you've ever ran the entire year. And they'll know that when you're in a certain formation, if player X runs uh, an in-cut, that they know that player Y and Z have to run these two routes. So they are geared up for it. And the second they see that X guy do
2: what they, he does,
1: they run to your spots. And if you're not on with your eyes and feet and the ball isn't delivered in the right spot, guys aren't going to be open. Right. And they did a really good job, Alabama's defense did, of gloving up those Clemson receivers who are a really good group. And then you know who they are is, is that is that front seven, that pass rush, smothered them at the line of scrimmage, stopped the run game, and then got after the quarterback and kept him in third and longs, where if you're in third and long against Saban, you're in trouble.
0: Yeah, you definitely are. Taking a look at the Alabama side, Jalen Hurts, 16 of 24, 120 yards, two touchdowns, another guy where he really doesn't have Mm -hmm. to win him the game. He just can't lose it. I want to look at the running attack, though. Uh, Hurts had 11 for 40, but Damon Harris, 19 for 77. I look at a guy like Bo Scarborough, Austin, 12 12 carries, 24 yards. He's a guy who stole a bunch of headlines for how big he is. How physical of a runner he is. He's not even their primary back. Does that show you just how deep this team is and how many athletes they have across the board?
1: They're so deep. It, they're, they're a factory. It's uh, you, you go out there and you run out there for the game, and you know you ID the mic and you get ready to go through it. And those dudes just look different. It's it's unbelievable. They're all older. They're they're built. They're developed. They're smart. They're, they're, there's a reason for their success. Whatever they're doing down there, they have created a factory, and you know they're the center of college football. But you know, you mentioned some of the stats. You know, these guys weren't necessarily as explosive as normal, and that's because Clemson. hot off to them; they played a great game. If you just they look did. at the stat line, you thought it might have been a ten to six game. But you know, obviously the, the turnovers that Alabama forced, and, you know, making those timely plays, you know, they just the, the Clemson offense just couldn't get anything going. Hats off to the Clemson defense for, trying to, you know, for doing their best to keep it close, but Alabama is, is just a machine, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting watching them play uh, another SEC adversary that is uh, built and ran just like them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now I want to ask you a very important question. Do you think that Kirby Smart and the gang will be preparing for Deron Payne as a receiver, the big fellow with the one-yard catch, Representing us <laughs> fluffy people,
1: what a! F- I, know you, I know you were excited about that. That's every uh, every big guy's
0: dream. Yes, it was awesome. And the thing about this is, we we talked about it the whole time. We've been talking about this game. Athletes, athletes, athletes. They don't need a big guy like that catching touchdown passes. They really don't. They have everything else. But then you throw oh. this guy in here, and, and it was past, probably pass interference on the one on the other defensive lineman because they had two in, I believe, at the same time on this play. And Deron Payne's wide open. He makes the catch, does the little big, does a little big man celebration as we all should. But I, I just, I'm thinking they have all these athletes and now. They throw this guy in here. They're just rubbing it in at that point. Uh, They're just the
1: attention to detail with everything they do. You know, it's it's basically the uh, the the New England Patriots of college football. Yeah. You know everything they do from obviously their personnel is is elite. But then you know, Coach Saban's been there forever. He knows everything and he's got an unbelievable staff and and support staff and they're working with more than anybody else you know in, in the country and you know they don't go into any game unprepared.
0: Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about that. Now, before we get into the national championship game that'll be coming up next week. We we both have agreed, I believe, that we think eight teams would be a good playoff situation. UCF they defeated Auburn this past yep. week. That obviously opens up one door. The other door is Ohio State beat USC. So now they're the championship team of a conference that went 7-1 in bowl games thanks to Michigan's loss to South Carolina. The case for eight, Austin, I think after this week is more relevant than it ever has been. I thought you would never ask,
1: Ben, because this is something that you know, I really wanted to bring up today is, you know, number one, UCF. Is the only undefeated team in college football?
0: Did you see they're putting up a national championship banner?
1: I love it. (laughs) They should. (laughs) They should because you know they did what they needed to do. They they won every single one of their games. I don't know how what better you can ask them to do. So all to all power to them, man. They had a heck of a year and they beat a team that, well, in, in about a week we might say was the actual national champion. So who knows what would happen if we actually let them in the dance and let them play? against an Alabama, Georgia, an Oklahoma, a Clemson. They, they proved that they belong by the way that they played Auburn.
0: Yeah, here's the problem then, I have. So the reason that was given, at least from what I understand, that they didn't make it is because their strength of schedule didn't pass the right. test. But the problem is they're now a great non-Power 5 team, a team that went undefeated, so nobody's going to schedule them. So how are they supposed to make their case? They already won all their games. What more the are they point. really supposed to do?
1: That's a great point. No one's going to schedule.
0: No one will schedule,
1: and, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I'm a if I'm a good Power Five conference team and I need to go get a win against the, against a lower level team, I'm going to go schedule a team that I know I'm going to win.
0: Well, how about Ohio play? State? Two losses, you're out. Right,
1: and they got penalized for it. Yep. There's Speaking of Ohio State, Ben, I've been here in all year. Because you know I'm down in the SEC now, and, and I keep hearing about how the SEC is down and the Big Ten and it is back, and they've got all these great teams and coaches, and then they go into the bowl games and 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 make their fans right, right? They they go seven and one. Yes. Then how in the hell do you keep out their conference champion? If Ohio State is the – or if the Big Ten is the best conference, it does not make any sense to me that you keep out the champion of the best conference in college football. It just doesn't feel right to me. Please make some, please, please make some sense to me.
0: See, here's here's the thing. First of all, hindsight's always twenty twenty. The Big Ten is the best conference right now, top to bottom. I don't think we can sit here and argue that. I know the SEC has two teams in. But the bottom half of the conference this year wasn't Stiller. I think this helps Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Michigan, all these top-tier Big Ten schools. I think this helps them get the benefit of the doubt next year. When they look, because the committee says we don't look past past years, they're lying. lying. They definitely do, or else Alabama probably (laughs) wouldn't have been in. So they're going to look and see: hey, Big Ten went seven and one in bowl games last year. They beat USC, they beat Washington. They beat all these other good teams, Washington State. They're the premier conference coming into this season. Their teams are probably going to get the benefit of the doubt. I would not be surprised if we see two teams from the Big Ten in next year.
1: Yeah, but tell tell JT Barrett and you know the seniors that are leaving Ohio State right now
0: that. Well, I mean, yeah. and If they had to do it over again, would they put Ohio State in? More yeah. than likely I'm, now, but you can't do that. It's always 2020. You don't get a redo.
1: Right, right. It's, that's why I think there's eight. And, I mean, I even went through and when was thinking about it. What would the eight be? It's really easy, right? Yeah. Let's take the power of five teams. Let's put them all in. What would that look like? Let's start Let's start with, with the ACC. Clemson, they won their conference. SEC, Georgia, they won their conference. They're in. Oklahoma, they won. Bam, they're in. Ohio State won. They're in. Pac-12 champion is USC. So there's your five right there. And you you see them any way you want. Now you get your three at-larges. Alabama, undefeated until the Big Ten championship because, of course, they're the best conference in football, so we can let another at-large team from the Big Ten in with Wisconsin. And then you let your Cinderella story at-large team of Central Florida. And now I think we got a great college football playoff of eight teams. You I can, mean, there's always room for argument, you know, does a Miami get in, does a, does, you know, does an Auburn sneak in somehow, even though they had too many losses, but now hell there, I think there's less debate because it's kind of like, I mean, once you get, you you can kind of pick and choose and throw these teams in there. And now everybody's got a chance. And now the beauty of March madness is to get these Cinderella stories. Right. I would have loved to see a central Florida, you know, a central Florida, Georgia, central florida alabama that would have been awesome to you watch, can't tell me they can't central play with florida any of three. those
0: teams you cannot tell me they can't play with any of those teams
1: we won't know because you didn't let them in all right. i know is they they beat the heck out of an sec west opponent that uh that has a win over the crimson tide so it, it just may i think it's just better to watch i think it's better for the fans it gives every team a chance now yeah you're basically telling 60 schools that you're not going to make it right which why? Why are you playing then? So, if you open it up like this, now you give these teams a chance. You keep hearing about Boise State back in the day, and you know now this Central Florida team. If you give every, they've always been held out. Well, if you open it up a little bit, making an eight-team tournament, it's one more game of football. Like it's, it's not the end of the world.
0: Yeah, I completely and now agree with you. In. Yeah, we'll and see. it's
1: only for those eight teams that are in. It's not like you got to penalize the other hundred and. Uh, 120 or so it's I mean you don't need to spread out these bowl games a month you just slide it back a week and everything can be done at the same time it's very feasible it can be done but uh you know I, I really push the committee and the NCAA to make it happen
0: yeah and we'll have to see how it develops from here on out real quick before we get to our interview with Eddie we want to talk about the national championship game coming up Austin, I want you to take both teams. Georgia, what has to happen for them to win? And then on the Bama side, what has to happen for them to win?
1: Well, both these teams are about as identical as, uh, as they get. Kirby Smart, who's done an unbelievable job, and it pains me to say it being the Gator, he, uh, he has Georgia back. And I think they're yeah, going to be back for, for some time. And he's done it by using the same formula the same blueprint as Nick Saban in Alabama. If you look at them, they're basically identical. Take away the jerseys and just make them the same, you know, all all white jerseys, no, no red helmets. They they look the same. It's the same offensive scheme. We're going to run the ball with our stable of running backs who seems like there's a new one every game that that's a stud. Our quarterback is going to make plays and do just enough for us. We're gonna have big, thick offensive linemen, and we're gonna have receivers that have all sorts of talent. But we're gonna find ways to get it to them in the past game, outside the numbers. Then you move over to defense, and I can tell you because I've prepared for both of them, it's identical. Like yeah. the scheme is actually identical, with the way that they pattern match things, with the way that they're they're set up, the, the quarters base that they play, you know, and then they play man on third down, and they're gonna get in different looks and. You're going to see all all sorts of different looks. But schematically, it's very, very similar, and it's all predicated on we're going to stop the run, we're going to challenge you on the outside, we're going to make you beat us in the air, and we're going to get to you with our pass rush before you can beat us in the air. And it might be, and I'm afraid it's not going to be as exciting of a game. I really hope I'm wrong, because I think that in order for Georgia to win, they have to dominate the line of scrimmage done. They have to. Yeah. They have to do what they've done all year with the exception of one week, which is run the ball and run the ball more and run the ball more because if it turns into a drop back deal, again, with Georgia, I, I, I think I think they'll be in trouble. And that's been the whole the whole thing that I've been going back on. And it's not that I'm not a believer in Jake Farm. That's not it at all. It's just Alabama's so good on their third down defense and when they're able to stop the run it, it's it's impossible. I know in the SEC championship when we played them two years ago or a year ago, I should say, we had I think 5 yards rushing and we threw the ball fine. <laughs> but when you got to throw the ball every single down, it gets it gets hard because yeah, they those. know you're throwing it. Then they're going to they're going to be able to give you all these different looks. You got to have balance to beat a team like Alabama and their defense. That's why you know, Sean Watson has been so successful because they've had such great balance. And mm-hmm. they've had a quarterback to have a great performance and, you know, make the plays that they need to make. Yeah. So to go back to it, so it's a long story, you know, short story long, Georgia needs to run the ball. They need to control the line of scrimmage. They need to turn over Alabama. They're going to need to play, make a play on special teams. Something's going to have to happen to make it ugly. Bama has to come out and, 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 and trip and stumble a little bit early and they need to control the game and turn into the fourth quarter and let their horses run late and try to wear down this Alabama defense. And for Alabama, it's the exact same thing. (laughs) Same team. Yeah, they're the same team. They're going to rely on their running game. They're going to try to get out early. They're going to try to force a turnover, which it feels like they do every single game, that somebody coughs it up and fumbles and they pick it up and score, or somebody throws a pick-six against them or they get a special team, they always get, find a way to get a cheapie. They force teams to make mistakes. And then once they get ahead, they get up 10, they get up 13, then it almost feels like the floodgates open. And then they start ripping off big runs, or then their defense really pins their ears back because they know that the team has to throw it against them, and, and then they pull away on them. And, uh, you know, for this game to go for Bama they just have to do what Bama always does which is force turnovers run the ball make those plays but I don't I don't I don't think it'll be close
0: yeah and speaking of similar teams we've been doing our bull bonanza picks and I tallied them up today did you I did and uh, Austin and I well we are both tied at 23 no we're not I swear we, we both have 23. The Wake Forest A M game was a push on the line we had. So we're not going to do the line for this national championship game because we – Does that mean we both
1: think alike? Is that, a, is that a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Well, we did so, have a lot. We, we hit on different ones.
1: Oh, okay. So, so we both equally don't know what's going on.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah you could say that. <laughs> I took the lead on South Carolina, and then I had Clemson, which was not smart. And you and you had Alabama, so you tied it back up. So going into this national championship game, we're gonna pick the score, and whoever gets closest with the correct winner will win. So Austin, I flipped the coin. You get to go first. Give me the score of the game this coming Monday. I re,
1: I re, first off, I don't think you actually flipped the coin. I think you want to see what I'll say, and then you'll uh, you'll make your determination. Ever, but
0: that's what you get when you uh, come up yeah. with the game. You, Right, I, I flipped you, something. You made the decision, and we will go with
1: it. I think Alabama wins, twenty-four to thirteen, and uh, I think it'll be really a game that's just dominated by Alabama all around.
0: I think Alabama wins too. We're, we have similar scores, but they're not the same. I'm going to go twenty-seven seventeen. I think there's a little more scoring than you think, but it's going to be a okay. it's going to be a good. Uh, It'll be a fist fight. There's no doubt about
1: that.: Oh, it'll be physical, absolutely. I just, I just think as the course of the game goes over, I think that uh, the ball is going to bounce somehow some way in Alabama's hands, and, uh, as it seems to do year after year.
0: Yep, now, it's just so hard
1: to pick against them.
0: It really is. I shouldn't have done it or I would have won. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, we're going to keep it in the SEC, and we're going to put the foot in football. Interview with Eddie Panero. <laughs> Here it is. Here is the former Florida Gator kicker and current NFL draft prospect, Eddie Pinero. Our next guest on the On OnCue podcast, we're shifting away from the quarterback theme, and we're getting into some special teams.
2: Absolutely. This guy puts the foot
1: in football out of Miami, Florida. <laughs> he was a soccer star, believe it or not, at Miami Sunset Senior High School, where he only played seven games in high school as a kicker and guys he didn't even kick field goals. It's gonna it's gonna blow your mind. He really only handled the kickoff duties and the extra points. He then shifted and went to ASA Community College in Miami prior to becoming an internet sensation. This is where I heard of the guy. This guy's hitting seventy yarders field goals like making it look easy. For so there he was noticed by big time college programs and ultimately chose to become a Florida gator. He was, uh, <laughs> this dude is automatic as the field goal kicker and the kickoff man for the Florida Gators these last two seasons.
2: He's got a field goal
1: long. His record is of 54 yards. You know, he's made just kick after kick after kick. Oh, by the way, Eddie, and you're going to love this. Every kick you made, all of your career highs were done when I was your quarterback, so you're welcome <laughs> for making you as great as you are, but... This man got 107 points responsible for and He was an AP All-American, a second-team All-SEC from Miami, Florida, getting ready to enter the NFL draft. Eddie Pinheiro. Eddie, man, I, I'm so excited to have you on. How you doing, bro?
2: Man, I'm doing good, man. You just missed a part of one uh, of the most
1: awesome as well. You forgot that part. <laughs> hey, he's got a long list, man. Got to keep up with it. We want to hop right in. <laughs> Eddie, and you tell me this. You're a soccer player. You grew up playing soccer. I know when you came to Florida, we couldn't even, you know, Coach Mack used to always joke that we couldn't even get you to put a helmet on. We had to teach you how to put your shoulder pads on and snap your (laughs) helmet up. And you really had no clue to an extent of what you were maybe getting yourself into. You know, how how did you even, going back to when you're in high school and you're playing soccer, how'd you, how'd you get into kicking a football? And how'd you realize, man, I'm pretty freaking good at this thing.
2: Yeah, so basically I just started. I mean, I played soccer my whole life. And then I became really good friends with the head football coach at uh, Sunset. And then, you know, they needed a kicker. So the, the coach came out to my uh, high school uh, soccer coach and was like, hey, like who has like the biggest leg? Like who could kick the ball the hardest? That's how it like, was. Uh-huh. So obviously everybody knew that I had a really good leg in soccer. I could kick the ball hard whatever. So I just came out there. And pretty much, like, helped out the football team. I kicked a couple of extra points and a couple of uh, kickoffs, but never attempted a field goal because my team wasn't – my high school team wasn't that good. But where it really, 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 I think, took off was probably junior college. I was actually – nobody knows this, but I was actually – I signed that letter of intent to FAU coming out of high school on a full scholarship. Really? And then I – yeah, yeah. And then I didn't get the grades. Like, I didn't get the GPA that I needed, so – I had to go the junior college route, but I initially signed my, uh, my uh, scholarship with FAU. So then I pretty much went to a junior college, AC college. They gave me a scholarship to play soccer there. I was going to do my two years and then just transfer to FAU where my, my full scholarship was waiting for me or whatever. So I get there, same scenario. I started playing, and then um, the, the head coach for, the, for my uh, junior college team also needed a kicker. They just started up. It was like a first-year program. So and I went out with my dad one day and we just got a freaking ball. And I kicked it and it went like I think my first kick was like a sixty yard like ever attempted. Like I just took three steps back and threw to the side <laughs> and I oh hit God. a sixty yard and my dad's like, Oh man, like that's pretty cool. I'm like, Yeah, like I didn't think too much of it but then um so yeah, so pretty much my dad's like, Hey, why don't you like try this out like my dad thought it was a good idea for me to, you know, go to these kicking camps. So I was yeah. like, You know what, you know what, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go to the Alabamas you know, kicking camp, and, and I'm going to compete. So, you're, no, you're like me not being ranked, nobody knew who I was. Literally, I went to Alabama camp and beat everybody out, like like the number one kicker, like the number one through number ten kickers, like best kickers in the nation where they, I, I literally did amazing. I beat them all out in front of Nick Saban, and then pretty much when they offered me, and then every, everything started moving from there, and then I started taking it more serious. Wow. pretty much the process.
0: That's awesome, man. The video of you kicking the 70-yard field goals, that was just, like you said, with the 60-yarders, that's just bonkers, man. When this video is (laughs) going viral and you're starting to get all this attention, what's this whirlwind like for you? Everyone's like, hey, this kid's a freak.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. Like, I would tell people because this this is why I started making the videos because I would, like, tell my friends, like, hey, I just went to the field and I kicked a 70-yarder, this and I'm like, oh, that's not true, like, you did not hate that, I'm like, man, I'm serious, all right, I'm going to record it, and then I pretty much went out there, kicked, like, a 70-yarder, started recording it, and then I started posting it, and then that's how I got a lot of attentions and then that's how, like, Florida got in contact with me, and all these big schools were like, hey, like, why don't you come to our kicking camp, and that's what I started doing, I went to the kicking camp, and I and I was just kidding, it. That's, that's how I got all these, like, scholarship offers. Without ever attempting a, a field goal in high school, which is crazy. That is hilarious. That's crazy. <laughs>
1: that is, so basically, it's the old saying, you know, Pixar or it didn't happen." You know, like guys when they joke around, "Oh, you gotta have video," or it, it is true, and yeah. you're just trying to prove your buddies who you actually kicked these monster shots, and <laughs> it just kind of yeah. picked up steam. That's that is outrageous, man. So tell me this: Yeah, you were committed at Bama, weren't you? Yeah. Okay, so and then the Florida Gators came into the picture. What came into your mm-hmm. thought process was why did you end up staying, you know, closer to home and end up becoming a Florida Gator when you really could have picked anywhere in the country? What made the Florida Gators in particular the, the place for you?
2: So pretty much it came down to, you know, my parents at that time weren't financially well, so I wanted my parents to come to every single one of my games, and I knew, and I knew mm-hmm. if I would have went to Alabama. They probably wouldn't have came to see me play. So that played like a big, big role in, in, in me coming to the school. It was closer to home and just like seeing the fans and stuff. Like I took an official visit to Alabama and then obviously I took one to Florida and you could see just like the swamp, like the different atmosphere as far as like oh, yeah. the fans and everything. It was just a different feeling. So I don't know. I just had a good feeling about Florida. So I just, I, that's why I came here.
1: That's awesome, man. It definitely worked yeah. out for you. It's been a,
2: <laughs> I'll tell you what.
1: I know what it was like when I had you as a kicker. You know, I, I would tell the guys in the huddle, Eddie, all we got to do is get it past the Gatorhead, and we got three points. <laughs> and you know, I, I was going back, and it, it was true. You were you're automatic. I mean, I'm looking at you yeah, it was a block. comfortable feeling. All I, I really, oh, I, and, and everybody on the team knew it because of the confidence that you had. Yeah. And I'm going back and I'm looking at you know your stats, bro. Yeah, and, and I gotta say, I already said it once. All your career highs, well, when your boy AA. Was, was underneath the center. Most kicks, most field goals you've ever attempted was against LSU last year. Your boy was playing quarterback yep. the most makes. Your, your long was against <laughs> South Carolina of 54. Your, yep, 94%. Yep. And, and, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. you're 100% from 50-plus, Eddie. You,
2: yeah. You're 5-for-5
1: yep. from 50-plus. I don't think there's another kicker in the country that... That, that, that can say that. So let me test you this. What was it like playing for a quarterback that's so good that he just gave you so many opportunities oh to kick, gosh. to kick the goal? <laughs> here,
2: here we go. Here we go with the, with the Austin, I will be greatest of all times. No, no, no. That's awesome. Hey man, that's you got to awesome. take care nah, of your boy. Nah, nah. Let's hear it. And you did, though. Listen, remember we used to talk about it in practice. I'm like, yo, just get a positive 50, and I got you. I promise. And that's what you did against LSU. And listen, we ended up going to the SEC Championship. That was that was a good feeling, man. That was pretty No cool. doubt, bro. Yeah, that's no some doubt. good
0: stuff right there. Eddie, I want to ask you this. What's it like being the most famous number 15 in Florida Gator history?
2: <laughs> I don't know about the most famous number 15, but, I mean, I think that um, – I think that it's, it, I mean, it's a cool feeling just having everybody cheer my name and stuff like that. I, I, I kind of felt like people don't see it, but for me, like, for the next level, the transition, like, I know in, like, the NFL, I probably, I mean, it would be nice, hopefully people would obviously, hopefully cheer my name. That would be cool, but, like, the, the percent of that happening is very low, but having people scream your name and stuff, just, like, helping with the pressure and, like, pressure situations and stuff, like, it's not easy to just have anybody go out there and have a hundred thousand people screaming their name and then not making the kick. So, you know what I'm saying? So just, just like the pressure standpoint and working on that Mm -hmm. and the mindset, I think that that's, that really helped me more than people actually think they just think, Hey, we're just going to go out here and scream his name. But little, but little do they know that they're actually really helping me as far as like handling pressure and stuff like that, which really turned me into the kicker that I am today, a big part of my success.
1: That's awesome that, you know, greater nation has a, you know, can actually feel like they had a part in helping you. You know, there's two sides yeah. of the coin. And I'm trying to, you know, explain that to Ben. He's never been in the swamp. He's love to be. But I'm trying to explain to him, like, Ben, there's Hall of Famers. Like, the the list goes on and on and on of players that have yeah. played at Florida. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard in my life a stadium of 9,000-plus chant the name of a guy, like, out of the Rudy movie. It was unbelievable the first time he went out and hit it. People didn't know what to do. It was during the uh, during the spring game, and then it just kind of took over. And you know, Eddie, you made yeah. you made a great point. Like you know, there's there's two sides of the coin. The one is like, hey, they're cheering your name and they're encouraging you, but they're cheering your name because they're expecting you to make the kick. They ain't going to cheer your name exactly. if you miss. And you went out there and yeah, you exactly. know, you did what you did. I always and I already told you this. I have I have a, I had a theory, and I do have a theory from when you move on. We know that you have a Cuban background. You know, yeah. We know you love your Latin music. You know, I was asking for your favorite <laughs> songs. I think that every time you drill a field goal, they need to hit the music. And I'm, and I'm putting, you know, I, I'm, it's in my head right now, and it just feels so beautiful to me. Eddie Pinero goes <laughs> out, drills a 50-yard field goal, and bam, Daddy Yankee, Gasolina, <laughs> just gets flared over the speakers and the entire stadium just gets hyped with you hitting the salsa in the middle of the field I think you heard it first I'm not your publicist but I'll take it I'll take uh I'll take credit for this when it when it when it when it blows up one day
2: when it blows up oh yeah <laughs> that's crazy no that's a good Chelsea that's a good I remember we talked about that that would have been pretty sweet if that if that would have happened but I don't, I don't yeah, you, know if, you and, if, if when Coach Mack was there at that time, I don't know if you would have let, let, let us play the gasolina and hit a thousand in the middle <laughs> of the field, but
1: <laughs> it's
2: just a thought for whatever team you go to. Especially if you can say close to home in Miami.
1: I bet people would love it down there. Oh, and, God. Uh, you, you know oh, that God. all you fourth-down Army guys, you and Johnny Townsend and Ryan Farr, had just, you guys were always up to something. Some of the, the celebrations you guys did was unbelievable, and we're going to get to that in a second.
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> but uh hey man, tell us more. Describe your Florida experience. If you had to take it all in and look back at your last two years, just 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 summarize it for us. What does it mean to you to be a Florida gator? What did it mean to you to be able to kick, you know, the way that you did and just be a part of that team?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, it was just to me, it was like I was living in a movie. People wouldn't believe it. Believe me, if I told them that it, I literally felt like I was living in a movie. Just knowing everybody, knowing who you are, just like constantly people always taking pictures of you for a kicker. Like I, I expect that for like a quarterback or receiver, but right. like for a kicker, you know, the love and attention that you know that Florida gave me and my family was ridiculous. Everybody knew who my dad was. Everybody knew who my little brother was. My mom, like it was just an awesome. Awesome, awesome experience. Literally like a movie, man. I can't explain it other other than that, a, 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 a movie and a, and 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 you know, and just the great people that that I've encountered and teammates and stuff that I've you know that I've, I've become friends that I've become friends with our Florida. So it was a it was a good feeling, man. It was something that I'm gonna remember for the rest of my life, and hopefully when I have no kids and, and 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 tell them, hey, you know, your dad had. Eighty thousand people screaming his name, and you know I still got the videos on my phone, so I'm going to save this for the rest of my life. <laughs> that's awesome, no
0: man. That's awesome. Now you've hit a bunch of big kicks, uh, some very impressive yeah. ones. Is there any one in particular that stands out to you over your career so far?
2: Um, probably the most meaningful kick I think in my career that for me was against LSU. Um, that we were up, I remember we were up by three points and I lined up for my third field goal attempt of the day and just, um, you know, either I hit it and we'll be up by by, by by obviously six points with like, I think that was like a minute left. So it would mm-hmm. force LSU to have to score a touchdown instead of hitting a field goal to tie it up. So I remember, I remember the, the people just screaming racial slurs at me, uh, 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 t- talking about my family members, like, it, it, was, it was awesome. It was the best feeling hitting that field goal and then forcing NSU to go for a touchdown, which they obviously didn't get in, and, and helping us and helping the team, you know, get to the SEC championship. I think, to me, that was the most meaningful kick.
1: You know? That's Let mean. me stop you there, Eddie, because that was my favorite kick that you've ever hit, too, because there was a lot <laughs> at stake. You know, people who don't know, yeah. you know, we have the hurricane that canceled the game. There was, it was supposed to be played in the Swamp. Remember, yep. we they canceled it. LSU said that we were scared and canceled because we didn't want to go play them. We then yep. scheduled the mm-hmm. game to go on the road to play them, and then in that moment, there's there was I think there were four minutes left. It was, it was the end of the game. We had to have it, and when you're talking about a yep. nasty, intense crowd, they were giving it to you. They were giving it to all of us. Yeah. They were really giving it to in that moment. And I'll never forget. You know, I you know the offense comes off the field. You guys jog on. You know, I look at you, I kind of, you know, give you a little something, maybe. You know, you really don't bother yeah, me, because I know you're, you're going to drill it. But I remember looking up at the scoreboard, and they've got you on the <laughs> Jumbotron. And, they're, and they're, <laughs> they've got these at? little animations, and they're trying, and they're just, just bashing you. And I watch you realize yeah, that you're on the scoreboard, and you look up, and you look up right into the camera, and you stick your tongue out and laugh. <laughs> and I'll never forget it, because in that moment... I realized, I was like, oh, he got it. There's no way he misses his kick. You were so calm
0: in that moment. I remember that.
1: You were were loving it. And I'm like, this dude is out of his mind. There is nobody else (laughs) in the country that would be as comfortable going into a game like this where people were literally trying to rip your head off.
0: And you just go right up there.
1: You laugh at the camera. You nail the kick. And then you and Johnny have a celebration. Where you guys like remember remember the freezing thing? What do they call it? Oh gosh, it was like a mannequin challenge. The mannequin challenge. Mannequin challenge. Right after the kick, and then you guys run off the field like nothing ever happened. It was the best thing I've (laughs) ever seen, and something I'll never forget about you. Can you back up in a little bit more seriously, though? How how do you have such a level of confidence? Your composure. You never seem to be bothered, Eddie. Like yeah. I, I talk about that moment just to make, build the context of it, dude. Like, do you even know what's at stake? Like, you know, if you understand like how big these kicks are, you just, you just feel pressure you even like, it, it, it's just amazing to me. Can you talk a little bit about what goes through your head as you're, you know, you're kicking balls at the net and you realize, okay, Eddie, we need three, go out there and get it for us.
2: Yeah. It's just pretty much, I mean, the mindset that goes through my mind is just, seeing the way that I guess my family and my little brother and everybody lives in my house and just wanting to give them a better life. And, and, and that's pretty much what goes through my mind, you know, just like, you know, every kick that I make gives me a better opportunity to put my brother in a private school, give my parents a better house, give my parents a better car. So that's pretty much the mindset that I took through through, um, through my career there at Florida and just, okay, this kick is going to get my brother a brand-new car. This kid's going to do this for my family. This kick's gonna do that for my grandma. This kick's gonna do this for me, wow. you know, for my sister. So that's the mindset that I took every single game. Just, you know, this this kick, just kicking a football is not about me. Like, there's more at stake. Like, I'm not thinking mm-hmm. about myself. I'm thinking about my family, you know. And obviously, as well as you know, getting nation as bad as the kicking situation was before I got there, and just trying to make the best out of it. You know, it's it's whatever it tells you is like oh. You know, I don't feel pressure when I kick a field goal. You're lying. I feel right. in my pants every single time I go out there, just like everybody else. <laughs> but you got to have a good, you got to have a strong mindset. And once you feel those nerves, you go, okay, well, you know, one thing I really, 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 really think about when I start feeling that pressure, because everybody does, I don't care how big time you think you are, uh-huh. um, I pretty much think like, you know, um, I don't know if you guys are religious or not, but this is just my mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus died on the cross for all our sins, so you wanna talk about pressure, that's the pressure. Jesus dying on the cross, me coming out here and kicking a field goal, that's not pressure. So that's how right. I always took my mindset. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. That yeah, sense absolutely.
1: Sense? You're li- you're living yeah. your dream, so, man. You're living your dream. Yeah. You're doing what you love yeah, to you. do. Good. And you getting me. so you're so blessed to do it and God has blessed you with so many you know, so many talents and the ability to, to give your family all that you have to you know, that you're gonna be able to give them and Man, you're, you're setting yourself up in order to uh, do just that, and I know that they're so proud of you, man. And it, I know that your teammates are proud of you, and, man, I'm proud of you for, for everything you've done. I've watched you work the last two years, and it's been really, really cool. One thing that also has been cool, it's also been different, is yeah. the, the, what, I guys, what I call you guys is the fourth down army, the, <laughs> yeah. the specialist. Yeah. You, Johnny Townsend... Ryan Farr, Tommy Townsend, you know, <laughs> Jacob Tillman, the rest of the gang. Mm-hmm. There's an old saying that the specialists are a different crew. <laughs> They're a different breed. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have yeah. to understand it with you guys. You know, we'll be out yeah. there in the, in the hot of the sun in the summer just dying. And, you know, you guys are in the indoor taking a nap or, you know, playing whatever <laughs> game you guys make up. You know, and i and I and I like to claim tennis. myself as oh yeah, punning <laughs> tennis. You guys have so many crazy games and I you know I've gotten to you know, as I was working out last year, I got to see a little bit of it, enjoying a little bit, and I like to call myself a half specialist. I'm an honorary specialist. I was the emergency backup holder, Ben. Oh so if all else broke loose, <laughs> I would be happy to hold Eddie's balls for him.
2: This is true. This is true, this is true. This is true.
1: <laughs> I was, no nobody would hold your balls better than me in an emergency situation. Now, with that said, speaking of these guys, give me wow. you your best story of the fourth down army. Johnny or Ryan or just give give me a story with these guys.
2: One of the best fourth down army stories would um, would have to be. Um, damn, I'm, I'm you're probably gonna hate me for this, but it's probably gonna be taking it back to that LSU game after you know. Um, I remember going to that kick, and and before I hit that field goal, I remember I went up to Johnny. I'm like, hey, Johnny, like, you know, these fans are such assholes, you know, and they're they're just (laughs) freaking, you know, they're so racist, calling my mom this and go back to your country, this and that. You have your green card. Just like saying all this nasty stuff. I go, after I made this field goal, um, let's do um, the mannequin challenge. And I think that was like the – the thing that just exploded like on off the internet, like everybody was just—it's something that was talked about for like the next two weeks after the game. Pretty much just doing the mannequin challenge in front of like the LSU crowd and having them boo us, and like I think that had to—that's probably to me the most memorable, probably funniest moment, most ballsy move. Because I told them, "Listen, we're, I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna make this field goal, and after I make it, because I'm gonna make this, we're gonna do the ma- mannequin challenge, and then we're gonna go home and we're gonna post this." after we beat LSU and everybody's gonna go nuts. And Johnny's like, Oh my god, are you sure Eddie? I'm like, listen, I'm gonna hit this field goal and we're gonna hit the Mannequin challenge. <laughs> so he was all like, oh man, like he was like he was like super like like uh what's it called like like oh Eddie like you're crazy, whatever. So I think that was part oh, yeah. the last moment for us. That is hilarious. that is
0: awesome, man. Now you obviously love yeah. Florida and love being a gator. So I'm sure this was not an easy decision for you to go to the NFL yeah. a year early. What kind of went into your decision to forego your senior year?
2: Just, um, so pretty much I sat down with my family and I sat down with uh, um, a couple of kicking coaches and stuff like that, that, you know, they know what kickers are coming out this year. And pretty much for me, it was more of the timing, just seeing the competition coming out this year and the competition coming Mm -hmm. out next year. And also just the struggles that the NFL kickers are having right now with injuries and guys missing and stuff like that. So just pretty much timing really took, is really why I ended up declaring because I think this was the best time for me, and I'm hitting the ball the best right now. Um, I think I'm peaking at the right time, and when you you know usually when you declare for the draft, you know like I ended I ended up number one in the nation in field goal percentage. I went 94, percent which led the NCAA in field goal percentage. So, you know, there's no guarantees that next year I would be that I would have that number one spot. So, that's pretty much. it. Oh, yeah, hold on, to, let, me that to, that to let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Can I stop you there?
1: Yeah, you, you're yeah, you're, you're you will you would be that number one spot again. You come on, man. <laughs> I, think, you're so auto, you are I think so
0: too. You are automatic. Come on, man. It's scary to think that you're peaking. <laughs> yeah. I, I, what have you done yeah. so far? You mentioned ninety-four yeah. percent. That's crazy. <laughs> he he is
1: yeah, currently yeah. shooting
0: a free throw. <laughs> From when he kicks the ball. Yeah, and, it's, and it's what
1: kind
2: of like, yeah, what's crazy is that, like, I feel like I haven't even reached my full potential. Like, every year mm. I always post a video of me hitting. Like, for for example, I posted a video of me hitting a 70. Then, like, eight months later, 77. Then, like, oh, a year gosh. later, 81 yards with pads on. So, like, I feel like every year I kick, I just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's like a scary button, you know? So.
0: I, I got you breaking that 63-yard mark in the NFL. Mm. <laughs> if you're hitting from right around 80, I like your odds. You know that's the NFL record, don't you, Eddie?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know, I know. God forbid they put me in Denver, too. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, no man.
0: Now, you hired Drew Rosenhaus as an agent. His track record speaks for itself. Great in his business. Uh, he's obviously going to help you get ready. What's kind of your plan as you approach the draft and getting this whole combine and workouts process going?
2: Yeah, so as of right now, you know, I'm just trying to surround myself with the most positive people and positive influences of you know coming up to this uh, draft and just getting my body right and you know it's kickers don't really have to like well for my position I don't have to really work out for the 40 you have to work out for benching or anything like that so I'm just really focusing on just getting as strong as possible and uh and, and do a bunch of just different exercises that I used to do with my dad for soccer which got me a lot lot stronger and, and helped me develop in my you know my leg strength and stuff like that and just really working on what nfl coaches want to see you know directional kicks on kickoffs and in college i never had to really do directional because i just got pretty much almost all of them at the back of the end zone but i know in the nfl you know they want you to work on directional left directional right and stuff like that so just working on stuff like that and and, and surrounding myself like i said with just positive people really positive coaches and just you know, staying focused. So,
1: yeah. Well, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be just fine, and you know, I'm excited for this process. I went through it a year ago, and I know that you're excited about it. And, you know, I'm sure you'll be excited to go anywhere. But yeah. Would you like? To, would yeah. you like to stay in Florida, whether it be Tampa, Jacksonville, or Miami, maybe where your hometown is?
2: Where would you love to go? Do you have a dream team, or are you ready to go anywhere? Yeah, I mean, obviously the ideal thing I would love to play for, obviously the Dolphins, because you know it's just in my backyard or anywhere in Florida. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to me, I just I would love to play anywhere, anywhere in the NFL, and and you know, and, and take my family with me. That's all. That's pretty much what's going to happen. So that's no doubt. that's my goal. So any any no gives me an an opportunity. So that would be fun.
1: You got it, man, and uh, you're going to go get it. I have all the faith in you. Tell me this, man, as we close out. Did you ever look back and think that, you know, you would be a, a Gator legend and preparing to enter the NFL draft as the number one kicker in the country, an AP All-American, you know, a, a guy that's beheld been, been by Gator fans? And, you know, did you, ever, did you ever think that you'd be in the shoes that you are right now? Or is this just a dream come true?
2: No, yeah. Um, coming into Florida, I thought, you know, I was just, uh, I know I wanted to be great. I know I wanted to be the best kicker to ever leave. And, and you know, I set a couple of goals for myself, and, and that's another reason why it played into my role. You know, I wanted to be the most accurate kicker to leave Florida history, which I did, mm-hmm. you know, the most 50-yarders, which I did. So just I, I set a bunch of goals for myself, but I never really thought as far as, like, the fan base and the – Eddie, Eddie, Terrence, and all that stuff, that's just something that just came a part of of the success that I never dreamed of. And that was just like, you know, a dream come true. And just, you know, uh, like I said, it's something that I'm going to tell my kids, you know, 20 years from now, you know, and and they probably won't believe me, but I'll have this video saved. (laughs) Hopefully they still have iPhones by that time. No (laughs) doubt. (laughs) No doubt. And, And
1: I'm sure they will. Last thing. For somebody, for a young kid out of Miami, Florida that watched you and dreams to be the next Eddie Pinheiro, Some, maybe a soccer player that, that just dreaming of maybe kick field goals or anybody that came from your background that has dreams and aspirations to become one that can, can live their dream and give an opportunity to get their family out of a, out of a bad situation and, and into a good one, and what would, you, what would your advice be? for a kid like that?
2: Pretty much, you know, you know, don't give up on your dreams. You know, if I could do it, anybody could do it. Literally, I came hmm. from a high school, a football team, went 0-12, never attempted a field goal in high school. So that just pretty hmm. much says it all. Like, you don't have to attempt field goals or have some more, I guess, experience to play at the next level because that's where I came, I come in and just you could just see my story and my background and see, how how I right. never attempted a field goal and stuff like that, and and still got a, right. a, an opportunity to to become a Division One player and just you know and just you know don't don't um what's it called don't don't give up on your dreams and I never did and for not one second I never thought I wasn't gonna make it I always knew from the back of my mind that I was gonna make it and and I did mm-hmm. so that's yeah. that's my advice for them you don't have to have yeah, experience to play I promise you that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do uh you never gave up on your dreams and you never stopped working. You you know, one thing you left out is that you worked your butt off. And we'd see you in that, that indoor at three hours of the night, kicking field goals into the net, you know, and the NFL guys would come back and work out, you're always with them, picking their brains and you know, I'm always uh respecting you for the work that you have put in to, to, to build yourself into what you are now.
2: Appreciate that Austin. Yeah, man, for sure. Goes both ways too, I saw I've seen all the work that you've put in as well, and, and I think that God has a plan for everybody, and, and, and I think we're all going to be all right. I think 2018 is going to be a, a good year.
1: So, no doubt. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you to be my kicker again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's do
1: it.
0: Hey, Eddie, so, thank get me, you so much. Give me a
1: cost of 50, man. Just give me a cost
2: of 50. <laughs> That's I got. it. Hey,
1: hey, man, we got to tell people we're a package deal. <laughs> Look, the only way, the only way you're going to get the best Eddie is if you get off of the under sun <laughs> Exactly, exactly,
2: there we exactly. Go. Let's do it.
0: Hey Eddie, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Best of luck in the process getting ready for the draft, and uh, wish you nothing but the best, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eddie. No
2: problem, man. I appreciate you guys for
0: sure. Yep, and that's going to do it for this episode of the On q Podcast. We'll be back next week to discuss the national championship. So long, everybody. Tune in to every episode of the On Cue Podcast and follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter at On Q Pod and Facebook, the On Q Podcast, College Football and Beyond. Make sure to follow your hosts on Twitter at AAppleB12 and at BThomas62. We'll see you next time.